Good morning. Today's reading is from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from the citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once away, far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Thank you, Melissa. Appreciate you. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome. My name is Brad. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at SCC. So uh, our reading didn't give it away today, but we're actually in the book of Ruth. Uh, we have been for a number of weeks. Now, uh, we're going to actually be in chapter 4 today. And so if you've been an astute student of um, God's Word here, you're going to say, well, now, wait a minute, because we were in chapter 2 last week. Why did we skip chapter 3? And that's a great question. Uh, and so I want to invite you, make sure you read through that. But there is an incident that happens in chapter 3 that I want to talk about a little bit. Uh, before we uh, move into chapter 4. So in chapter 2, Ruth and Boaz have met. Ruth has immigrated from Moab into Israel in chapter 1, had a lot of hardship in chapter 2. They begin to meet. They begin to get to know one another. When we last saw Ruth and Boaz, they were enjoying a nice uh, lunch together. And so what happens in chapter 3 is uh, Ruth's mother-in-law, her name is Naomi, she's going to give Naomi some advice. And um, I just got to tell you, it is, I just got to be honest, it's just weird. The advice that Naomi gives to Ruth is just weird. Can you kind of say it's about to get weird? Say that. It's about to get weird. Um, and so, um, Here's the advice she gives her in chapter 3. Now, we're not going to put these verses up, but if you have your Bible, I invite you to open it. Or if you have it on a phone, um, open that up. Again, we're in chapter 3. We're going to walk through this advice starting in verse 3. So the first thing Naomi tells Ruth is she says, look, I want you to wash. I want you to take a bath. Like if you're going to develop a relationship, that's a really good place to start. Amen? You probably want to take a good bath. You probably want to clean up. Uh, moms, it's in there. You can tell that to your kids. It's in the Bible. You got to wash. You can actually tell them that. Uh, then she says, I want you to wash. I want you to put on perfume. I want you to get dressed in your best clothes. Now, why is she giving uh, Ruth this advice? Well, remember, the only context that Boaz knows Ruth from is uh, work hard, hot work in the fields. Uh, she's gleaning in his fields. So the last time that Boaz saw Ruth, uh, you know, she had dirt in her fingernails. Uh, she was sweaty. She was, uh, she'd been working hard. You know, she, and he, he knew from chapter two that Ruth was a woman of character and integrity, that she was a woman of faith, that she'd professed her loyalty to the God of Israel. Uh, so he, he already knew a lot about her character, but uh, Naomi is saying this, look Ruth, I want you to show him what's on the outside. I want to show him the, I want you to show him the Cinderella you. 
right? What you look like when you're, as my grandmother used to say, kind of gussied up. Uh, so she says, so, so get gussied up, and then I want you to go down to the threshing floor, and I need to tell you what a threshing floor is. That's where they would actually uh, separate uh, the stalks of barley from the wheat, uh, and so uh, there were large numbers of people there doing that. And then what they would do, because they were also storing their wheat or their barley on the threshing floor, uh, they would actually sleep with the prophets. In other words, they didn't want to leave uh, because if they left, people could just come in and take grain and make off with it. And um, so they had to kind of protect that, right? Keep people from doing that. So the, the workers, when, once they would uh, thresh on the threshing floor and separate that, then they would sleep with the prophets. And so that's what's happening here. So you're going to have a lot of farmers, a lot of people sleeping next to their grain. That's what Boaz is doing. So, so she says to him, um, I want you to watch where he goes to lay down, where he goes to sleep, and then I want you to wait until he's finished eating, until he's had all he, he wants to, to eat. Uh, this is kind of funny, I think, because you can kind of see the plan here that Naomi's coming up with. She's saying, listen, let him eat all the chicken wings that he wants, and when his belly is full and he lays down, I mean, come on, let's be honest, we all know men are happier when their bellies are full, right? I want you to pay attention to where he goes to sleep, and when he lies down, take note of that, and then what I want you to do is once you're sure he's asleep, now remember, this is a public area. There's lots of people sleeping on the floor here. I want you to go. I want you to uncover his feet. I want you to lay down at his feet. I want you to take a little corner of the blanket and put it over you. And I want you to tell him that you want him to be your kinsman redeemer. Now, I need to explain what that is if you're new. A kinsman redeemer was the closest relative to someone whose job it was to come in and protect them and care for them when they were widowed like Ruth had been. Remember back in chapter one, she lost her husband. He grew ill. He died. There was no social security. There were no, there was no Medicare or Medicaid. And so she was reliant on that. This kinsman redeemer idea was, was that the nearest relative would step in. And then they would also make sure that if a young widow did not have children, that she would be able to have children. This was very, very important in that culture. So she asks him to do that as a relative of her mother-in-law, uh, Naomi. And then, listen, this is where it starts to get, well, it's already weird, right? Because she's laying down at his feet. She's asking him to be her um, kinsman redeemer. Uh, and listen, I just got to be honest with you. I mean, my daughter, you know, um, she is probably here this morning, and I've never given her this advice. I've never said, honey, when you go on a date, get a, get a room together, right? And when your boyfriend falls asleep, I want you to lay down at his feet and just say, hey, you know, will you, I'll do anything that you want me to do. I've never given her that advice. In fact, you'll never hear me give my daughter that dating advice, right? It is not going to happen. So you're probably thinking, so why would Naomi tell her daughter-in-law 
to do this. And it is perplexing because it's so socially removed from our culture. So there's actually three theories as to what Naomi was actually asking Ruth to do. And so what do you say I just share those with you? Because you got nowhere else to be anyway, right? May as well, we're here, so let's just see it through. So theory number one is that when she said, I want you to uncover his feet, that that was kind of a euphemism, a way of saying to Ruth, I want you to uncover more about him. I want you to engage him in conversation. Now, that is a theory. It's not a good one. In fact, I think it's a terrible one. Uh, number one, it's bedtime. He's just gone to sleep. Now, it's okay to engage a husband or wife in conversation while they're falling asleep, right? We do that all the time. But it's not good on a date, right? You don't want to wait till somebody's asleep and then go, oh, well, by the way, you know, and all that, right? It's just not, it just, this, that does not work, at least for me. Another theory suggests that Naomi is actually telling Ruth just to be a little aggressive, to do whatever it takes to get Boaz's attention, uh, including if he asks her to have sex with him. Uh, not only do I think this one's dumb, it doesn't fit the tenor or the purpose of the book at all. Furthermore, remember, this was a public area. There were lots of people sleeping here. This wasn't a private thing. So I think that's a terrible uh, theory as well. Other people would say, third theory, and this is the most likely, at least in my mind, would say that no, Naomi was really saying to Ruth, look, I want you to trust God's sovereignty, and I want you to trust Boaz's character. See, we know he's a man of God. We know he's a man of faith. We know he's a man of standing. We know that he loves God. So what Naomi was asking Ruth to do was to put herself in the right place with the right man, trusting in the right God at just the right time. And usually this theory also acknowledges that there is a cultural piece here that is lost to us. In other words, over time, um, there's, there's something about the culture of that day that this spoke to that we just don't know. We just don't understand what it is, and that is probably a missing piece as well. So those are essentially the theories that we have to work with. What's really happening is Naomi is saying, look, I want you to be a little bit forward. I want you to put yourself out there in a way that Boaz knows that you're interested. Uh, just, you know, give him a little hint, she's saying, along the way. And let me just go ahead and say this for the benefit of the ladies in the room. Because you know, right, sometimes men, we need a little encouragement, right? Um, some men need a lot of encouragement. And the reason for that is sometimes we men, we can be a little insecure. I'll let you in on that secret, right? And if you're a lady, you're like, that's not a secret. I already kind of knew that about men, that they can be insecure. And so that's Naomi saying, look, so just work through that, work past any insecurities that Boaz may have about um, moving forward in a relationship with you. And I actually love that this story is in the Bible because the Bible puts real stuff in there. It doesn't try to hide or gloss over uh, 
real life. It doesn't try to make the saints of the Bible better than they really are. It shows all their warts, all their sin. And listen, in the Bible, men aren't the hero, folks. It's God. It is God. And I love that. I love that the Bible uh, actually puts real stuff in there because that's one of the reasons I know it's true. Now, I will say this. Uh, you know, that was Naomi's advice to Ruth. And some of you, you know, you've been wise enough to go and seek advice or counsel at some point in your life from other people. And maybe you tried to put their advice into play and, you, and it didn't work. And you go, well, you know what? I took their advice and I probably shouldn't have. That was a really dumb thing for me to do. Here's the good news. God can still write a better chapter for your life even if you've been given or taken some bad advice along the way. He's that big. He's that capable of, of doing that, right? Uh, so he, he can still write a better chapter. And speaking of a better chapter now, I'm going to move on into chapter 4, the first half of chapter 4. To help us think about this, let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever seen somebody, maybe you see an Instagram post, or you see uh, something on social media, maybe Facebook or whatever, and, you know, it just looks like their life is going great, at least from a surface, right? I mean, because the truth is we all put our best face on on social media, right? We don't talk a lot about all the stuff that's broken in our life, all the stuff that needs fixing. We usually show people, you know, when we're on vacation or when we're out on a date or whatever. Ever, right? We always put our best foot forward online, but you look at that and you kind of go, man, you know what? I wish I had what they had. I wish I had the kind of relationship they seem to have. I wish I did what she did. I wish, you know, just as you look, it just seems like your life seems to come up just a little bit short. And the problem is that when you look at somebody where they are, um, you don't know what they've had to go through to get there, and you don't know what they've endured to move into that chapter. In other words, uh, you say, I want a story like that, but the problem is some of the early chapters of their life weren't so good. I mean, you didn't read the story about private sacrifices that they had to make, or you don't know about the chapter called Heartbreaking Loss that they had to endure, or the chapter called Overcoming My Insecurities, or the chapter called Spiritual Doubts, or the chapter called Sin and Failure. You know, we tend to gloss over those. And today, I just want to show you an incredible principle from Ruth chapter 4. See, in, in Ruth chapter 4, God's going to start to bless Ruth. He's going to start to bless Naomi. He's going to start to to bless Boaz, but they had to go through a lot, lot, lot in chapters one through three to get to that point. And I don't want you to forget that. I don't want you to miss that. I mean, Naomi had to leave her home country. She immigrated to Israel. So she goes into a, a country where she's literally an immigrant. She has nothing um, and so she had to endure a lot, lot, lot to get to chapter 4. And so I'm actually calling this message moving toward hope, and here's why. Because sometimes moving towards hope is synonymous 
with moving toward God. And what we're going to see in Ruth chapters 1 through 4 is a young woman who is moving closer and closer to God as her story unfolds. In fact, you remember in chapter 1, she, uh, she said she was a Moabite. She worshipped the false god Chemosh. And later in chapter 1, she said, I'm not going to worship that God anymore. I'm going to worship the, the one true God. I'm going to worship the God of Israel. And so we see her moving in, uh, you know, through her life in a greater knowledge and awareness of God's goodness you know, in her life. Right? Really, really important. Now, the context of Ruth, if you haven't been with us um, well, actually, I think I've already done that review. Uh, so, so let me catch you up to speed with this. So R- Ruth wants Boaz to be her kinsman redeemer. She's asked him to do that in the end of two, right, or in chapter three. But it, there's a problem. And the problem is there's somebody closer to Naomi than Boaz is, somebody who legally would be able to step in and be Ruth's kinsman redeemer. So Boaz has to come up with a plan. He comes up with a plan, and his plan is um, he's going to try to find this guy and see if he's interested in becoming Ruth's um, kinsman redeemer, right? So, um, so the problem is the law says he can't do it until this other guy agrees. So he has to make a deal with this guy. Now to make this deal with this guy, Boaz is going to need three things. The same three things you're going to need to write a better chapter in your life. He's going to need the providence of God. He's going to need a plan and he's going to need dependence on God. He's going to need trust in God. And those things are going to get expressed through prayer. So he's going to need providence. He's going to need a plan. And he's going to need some prayer, right, to get this deal done. So let's start with the first one. He needs the providence of God. Here's Boaz's plan. He decides to go to the city gate. Now, the city gate was a lot like the courthouse. Uh, That's where people went to do business, to, to make things legal and appropriate. And so he goes to the city gate and he sits down. And we're told early on in chapter 4 that it just so happens when he sat down, this kinsman, this nearest kinsman redeemer, this potential helper for Ruth comes by. And so he, he engages this guy in a conversation, right? Uh, Now, when we talk about the providence of God, it's important that we redefine that. The providence of God is this. That is when God uses natural circumstances to, uh, to bring about his supernatural results. It's when God uses ordinary events, everyday events, mundane events, to do extraordinary things in order to accomplish as well. That's what the providence of God is. So we would say things like this. We would say, well, I just know it was meant to be. When somebody makes a comment like that, they're leaning into the providence of God 
right? Um, so when, when we say things like that, that's what we're really acknowledging. So Boaz called out to this guy. He said, hey, friend, I want you to come over here. Now, the word friend is a very, very generous translation of the word that Boaz uses. It's actually um, like the name, uh, like a muted name, like a no name, almost like Mr. No Name. Now, the reason that this word is used is Boaz is going to approach this guy and initially he's going to say yes, but by the time we get to the end, he's going to say no. He's going to say he doesn't, he doesn't want to take on that obligation. And so he's going to say no, and by saying no, he is essentially writing himself out of the story of God. It's really the author's way of saying his name's not even important because he didn't step up. So let me ask you a question. What is God asking you to do right now and you've been telling him no? That's been your answer. God, I don't have the time. God, I don't have the ability. God, I don't have the opportunity. God, I just think my answer just has to be no, at least for right now. Listen, every single time that we give God a no, we write somebody else into the story of God because God, um, you know, taps them on the shoulder. Okay, well, they told me no. God's going to raise up somebody else and invite them into the story. And so what are you saying no to God about that maybe you need to be offering him a yes? Because every time you say no, you write yourself out of the story of God just a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. Your name, your story becomes less and less important to the story of God, the story that God is telling and so he's, he makes this proposal to Mr. No Name, right? This guy who isn't going to matter to the story anymore because he's going to say no. And so at first, the guy says yes. And then he says, oh, by the way, the land that you would be taking over, that comes with a Moabite widow. And he kind of downplays Ruth here. He, he points out she's a foreigner. She's an immigrant, you know, she doesn't speak our language well. And the guy's like, oh, well, wait a minute. You didn't say that she was part of the deal, see? You didn't say that, right? So, uh, so instead, what, you, what I'm going to, I just completely lost. It's terrifying when you lose your place in front of hundreds of people. Would you guys pray for me here in this moment? Yeah, so where was I? She's an immigrant. She's a foreigner. Uh, so this guy says, you know what? I'm not going to do it, and here's why. I don't want to endanger my estate. Here's what he's saying. I don't want that land to go to her. She's not even in my family. I want that land to go to my kids. So I'm going to have to say no to your arrangement. And then that means that opens the door, right, for Boaz to step in to, to, to marry Ruth and to be her kinsman redeemer. And um, I just, I love that. I absolutely love 
that you, that you do that. And so again, uh, that's the first thing you're going to need is the providence of God. This guy just happens to happen by, right? We, you and I would say, we read it and we go, oh, well, that was meant to be. Well, yeah, that's the providence of God. But then notice too, Boaz is working his plan. He has this plan. He's, he goes to the city gate. He waits on this guy. He happens by. Then he asks him, kind of casts Ruth like it's not that good of a deal, you know, so that he can kind of step in and do it. He has a plan and he's working it. I really like Boaz here, I do. Now, listen, here's what I need you to pick up from this part of the story. Planning is sometimes the most spiritual thing that you can do. Planning is spiritual. In fact, Ruth and Boaz are going to get married. They're going to have a child, and that child is going to have a child, and that child is going to have a child, and that child is going to have a child, and that's going to be King Solomon. And, he's good, and King Solomon, this descendant of Ruth, is going to write the book of Proverbs. And I want you to look what this distant relative, this great, great, great grandson says about planning. Uh, it says this, The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to to poverty. So essentially, he's saying you need two things. He's saying you need good planning, and then he says the planning of the diligent. In other words, you need hard work. You got to come up with a good plan, you got to entrust that plan to God, and then you got to work that plan. You got to work it really, really hard. And so, and he says then that leads to prosperity, but hastiness, shortcuts, that always leads to poverty. See? So he's saying, as surely as good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, I can tell you haste and shortcuts lead to poverty. So one of the, we know, one, right, this, one of the most spiritual things that you can do is to create a plan. So let me just ask you a question. What's your plan? In other words, if you want a better chapter for your life, you're going to need a better plan. So what's your plan? Some of you would say, well, you know what, our marriage, my marriage is struggling right now. Fair enough. What's your plan for that? Maybe your plan needs to be that the two of you need to go see a counselor, a good Christian counselor. Maybe the plan needs to be that you need to invite some people, maybe from your small group or your life group, into your life to begin to help you put some of the pieces back together in your marriage again. But I'll tell you this, going home and staying in different ends of the house is not a good plan. And that's what some of you are doing. That's your plan. Well, I'm just going to live in a different end of the house than her or him. We're just going to avoid each other. Friends, that's not, 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 not a good plan. It is not going to work. Some of us, maybe our finances aren't good right now. So I would ask you, financially, what's your plan? Now, some of you, your plan is this. Well, I'm just going to continue to spend more than I make until it catches up to me. 
And the reality is, friends, it always catches up to you. Maybe, just maybe, your plan needs to involve maybe cutting up some credit cards. Maybe starting to do a debt snowball, right, where you're paying off your your smaller balances first, and then you start paying off your bigger ones. Or maybe you do it a little different. Maybe you say, hey, I have the highest interest rate on this balance, so I'll start there so that I'm saving more money right away. But you need to have a plan to live within your means. Friends, that is so spiritual. That is so honoring to God when we plan. Some of us, if we're honest, we need a health plan, like because our plan right now is I'm going to eat, I'm going to sleep, and then I'm going to eat some more. And that's your plan. And some of us, we need to get our bodies moving, right? There's some things we need to do differently. Maybe some of us say, well, I don't like going to the doctor because it makes me uncomfortable. Well, some of us need our doctor to be our ally. We need to be working with them instead of just saying, well, I'm not going to go because I'm afraid of what I'll find out. Friends, that is not a good plan. It is not a good plan. Sometimes planning is the most spiritual thing that you can do, and I'll tell you why. Because the decisions that you make today will determine the story or the chapter that you tell tomorrow. I want to say that again. The, The decisions you make today, the planning you do today, will determine the story that you tell about your one and only life tomorrow. So Boaz, what's he do? He works his plan, right? He goes, he buys the land, he becomes the kinsman redeemer. And in verse 10, it says, and, and with the land, he says, I've acquired Ruth. I've acquired Ruth, the Moabite widow of Malon, to be my wife. This way, Ruth can have a son to carry on her family. And he says to everybody, right, you're all my witnesses. This is another reason he went to the city gate, so that he would have witnesses. This was another part of his plan, right? Part of my plan is I want there to be lots of witnesses around so this guy can't come back on me later and say, oh, you know what, I changed my mind. I actually want to be Ruth's kinsman redeemer at this point. And then I want you to notice the third thing you're going to need if you're going to write a better chapter with your life, and that's prayer. And I want to tell you why prayer is so important. Prayer expresses two things. It expresses trust and dependency on God. In other words, God, I can't do this by myself. I'm going to need your wisdom. I'm going to need your strength. I'm going to need your mercy. I'm going to need your grace. And and when you look at the book of Ruth, it's so amazing. It's punctuated with little, short, concise prayers. In fact, here in chapter 4 is the longest prayer in the whole book of Ruth. And essentially, it's just a prayer of blessing. Hey, God, would you bless Ruth? Would you pile blessings on her? Would you give her children? Would you do good things for her? Would you give her a life? Would you restore what the locusts have taken away from her? I mean, just this prayer of blessing. But here's what I want you to hear. And here's what you need to know when it comes to prayer, especially if you're kind of new at it. Listen, something you need to know about me. I don't get up in the morning and pray from 6 to 8. 
I don't do that. I, I, my life is not characterized by hours of prayer at one time. Rather, I may pray hundreds of times over the course of the day so that I'm close to God all day long. Here's what I'm saying. Look, if you go, man, pastor's right, I need to be a prayer. I'm going to start getting up at 5.30 and I'm going to get on my knees and I'm going to pray from 5.30 to 7. What's going to happen is you're, you're not going to do that well. You're not going to pull that off well. Why don't you just determine instead that as you walk through your day, you're going to walk through it with God. And so you just need short, punctuated prayers that go through the whole day. Now, listen, if you're, if you're somebody in here and you do get up at 6 and you pray till 8, bless you. Bless you. You are way more spiritual than me, and I honor that. I encourage that. I'm just telling you how it has to work for me and probably for a lot of you as well. Right, And so here's what it might look like for me. Let's say I'm walking from one appointment into another. I might take three or four minutes and just say, hey, God, would you help me love? Let's say I'm going to meet with Jim Bob. Would you help me love Jim Bob well, God? Hey, God, would you give me wisdom about Jim Bob as I'm talking to him? Would you give me an eye on him and then an eye on you so that I can see what you want to do in this meeting? And God, I'll have an ear to you and I'll have an ear to him. But give me wisdom and insight into him. Help me serve him well today. God, would you do good things in Jim Bob's life because we sat down together? I need you to do that, God. I'm not smart enough to help Jim Bob on my own, right? This is the kind of thing I'm talking about. See, that's not a long, flowery prayer, but I'm expressing my trust and my dependence on God for everything that I do during the course of a day. And that's what I'm inviting you into and I love it you know the prayer goes kind of like this may she be blessed with children may the Lord make this woman who's coming into your home like Rachel and Leah from whom all the nation descended and then at the end of the prayer here's what they say that the whole nation he says may, may she be like the early women of nation of uh, Israel from which the whole nation descended and may you prosper her and make her famous in Bethlehem. In Bethlehem. That's where this story is taking place. Now, I don't know about you, but I just happen to know somebody who's very, very famous from Bethlehem. And his name is Jesus. And he is all over this story. He is all over this story. And I just want to show you something that's really emotional to me, and I hope it will be meaningful to you too it's kind of an easter egg anybody know what an easter egg is i don't mean the kind of easter egg like that you hide and people find at easter i'm talking about something that's kind of concealed or hidden or tucked away maybe in a movie that's meant to point to something more significant i'm talking about that kind of easter egg and here's why i want to share this kind of progression with you i already told you that sometimes moving toward hope is synonymous with moving toward God. And here in Ruth, 
As Ruth uh, gets to know God better and gets to know Boaz better, comes into contact with his kindness, his grace, his mercy, what you see is that the way that she sees herself begins to change. And it's transformational. And so in Ruth chapter 2, it starts out this way. You can kind of look at it here. In Ruth 2.10, here's how she thinks of herself. I'm a foreigner. I'm an outsider. I'm on the outside, right? I'm not an insider. I'm not family. I'm just on the outside looking in. And the Hebrew for that is uh, nokriya. Nokriya means I'm a foreigner. I'm on the outside. And then a few verses later, as she continues to interact with Boaz and she uh, comes even more acquainted with him, here's what she says. She says, I'm not worthy to be your servant. And the Hebrew here is Shifa. She says, I'm not worthy of that. Like, Like she's saying this, if you were to line up your servants from highest to lowest, all the people that work for you, I would be at the back of the line. I'm not even worthy to be in the line to be one of your servants. And then they interact some more. And here's what she says next. I am your household servant. Now, here's what's significant. She's not at the back of the line anymore. You don't want to know where she is? She's at the front of the line. A household servant was like family. Like they were... They were trusted so much that they were involved in the home. They were involved in the everyday activity of the family. And then, and then, this is so beautiful. Craig's going to talk about this more next week. But next week, she's going to look at Boaz and she's going to say, I'm your wife. I'm your wife. I'm not a foreigner I'm not somebody at the back of the line anymore. I'm not even at the front of the line. I'm your wife, and that's Isha. So when Eve is presented to Adam in Genesis chapter 2, that's Isha. That's what's happening here. And I absolutely love this. And here's what's so cool about this. Here's what you need to see. You go, well, why does that matter? Well, friends, Ruth's journey as she gets to know Boaz and his kindness and then indirectly the kindness of God, uh, her journey mirrors our journey. Remember the scripture reading we did at the beginning of the morning? Let's look at it again. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. Let's look at it. Remember that at that time when, before you knew Christ, you were separate from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship in Israel. You were a what? You were a foreigner. You were on the outside looking in. And because of that, you were without hope and you were without God in the world. Friends, Ruth's story is our story. Her identity is meant to inform your identity, my identity, our identity. And, um, and, and it's all because she just kept experiencing the goodness, the kindness, the graciousness, the mercy of God. And friends, this progression in our identity parallels hope. Because as I've said, moving toward hope 
is almost always the same thing as moving toward God, just like Ruth did in this story. And so if you are in Christ, if you've said yes to Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, regardless of how you feel, you still may feel like you're not worthy. You still may feel like you're on the outside looking in. You still may feel like you don't belong. But God would say, none of that is true. Listen, don't rely on your feelings, friends. We have to stand and rely on the truth of God's word. That is what sets the trajectory in our life. That is true north, not your feelings. It's your faith. Your faith is meant to be the engine, not your feelings. And then he goes on and he says, not only were you without God and without hope, but now you've been united with Christ Jesus. You know, you were once were far away from God, but now you've been brought near through the blood of Christ. So now, you know, you Gentiles, you're, you're no longer two. You're no longer separated, right? There's no longer a dividing wall of hostility between you. And then he goes on to say, no, you're members of God's very own family see friends listen if you're in christ regardless of how you feel regardless of what chapter in your life you're in whether it's a hard chapter or a better chapter you need to know something you are not on the outside anymore you are no longer a foreigner you are no longer an outcast you are family you are an isha you are the bride of christ you are an ambassador of the most high god you are a child of the living god you are a joint heir in the kingdom of jesus christ that's who you are and that identity friends changes everything it changes everything you were without hope why because you were without god but now you know god and so you can know hope and so as you move toward god you're simultaneously moving towards hope because you know him you know him so here's what i want to do i just want to take a minute i just want to pray for you it's a miracle and we're actually going to get out on time today praise god you're welcome you're welcome Let's pray together. Hey, God, uh, I just pray for the people that in the room right now, you know, you know every story, you know every chapter. I just pray for the ones that are in the middle of a hard chapter. God, would you just come near them? Would you hem them in? Would you lift them up? Would you plant hope like a seed in their heart that they might live out of that hope today? hope that it won't always be this way it won't always feel this way it won't always be this hard and god that even the hope that you want to write a better chapter with their life and so god uh, we just i just ask you to do that i ask you to work and move whether it be through providence whether it be through miracles whether it be through the supernatural god would you just uh, remind every man woman and child in the room today that as they move toward you they move toward hope and it's in the name of jesus that we pray and all god's people said amen, amen. god bless you guys thanks for worshiping with us today have a great